Last two weeks, we as a Tswane church celebrated reach. Our mission to go to the nations, our mandate to reach the nations. And before that, we as a uh, Willows church was busy with a sermon series called What Matters Most, a series about relationships. And tonight, we're going to continue with the series. We're going to speak about relationships in general. And hopefully this evening, I'll be able to share with you a principle that's so practical and so relevant that you can apply it to any relationship, whether it's a dating relationship, whether it's a a friendship relationship, whether it's to a relationship towards a roommate, a co-worker, those of you who are married towards your wife or your husband. It's a principle that's relevant to any relationship. And tonight's sermon is entitled, Just Do It. Just do it. Now, when it comes to, I'm not doing a, what do you call it, uh, advertisement. My three months away, I didn't get a Nike sponsorship. <laughs> Wesley gave me this title, okay. Um, but in general, when it comes to relationship, we tend to judge others based on what they do. We judge the other person in the relationship based on their actions. This is, this is normal. Generally, we either like what they do, what they said, or what they didn't do, and what they didn't say, and we judge that person in that relationship based on the actions of the other person in the relationship. But the opposite is true for us. We tend to judge ourselves based not on our actions, but our intentions. What I intended to do, instead of my actions. So generally in relationships, we judge others based on what they do, but we have grace for ourselves based on our intentions. And there's this gap between intentions and our actions when it comes to relationships. And listen, we've all done it. How many of you get together at church and afterwards we're going to have coffee and at the coffee you're meeting up to someone and you're like, Alhart, yes, and you have a great time together. And uh, listen, Alhart, we need to get together. Have you made that commitment at church? Okay. But then a week goes by. You haven't checked in with Alhart. Next Sunday, he says, oh man, what a crazy week. I haven't been able to get to you. Uh, we haven't spoken, but listen, we need to get together. Okay. You know, great's going to happen. Third week, okay, listen, we're going to make a plan. We're going to get together. Great intentions. By week four, you see Alkhart, and you're like, I'm just ignoring him now. I'm feeling so embarrassed. Great intentions, but it's never going into actions. And all of us have done this. We're going to get together, but it just doesn't happen. Think about how we generally greet each other. Hey, how are you doing? Good on you. And we move on. Those of you Afrikaans, it's like a little rhyme that we say. Good in you and you move on. But do you really know what's happening in that person's life? Do you even really care? Are you really interested to say, how are you doing? And when somebody asks you, oh, how are you doing? Are you honest? Was it just a general response? Do we really know what's happening in each other's lives? We might have great intentions of being involved, 
But do we really know? Sadly, often in church, we'll tell people, I'll pray for you. Pray for you. And then Monday happens. And before you know it, it's Friday. Great intentions. And there's really not an ill motive in that moment. You're not going, hey, I'm going to pray for you, but in your heart, you're gonna, not going to happen. <laughs> if you do that, I would love to speak to you afterwards. <laughs> Just. But generally, when people say, I'm going to pray for you, it's with, it's with good intentions. With the motive, of, I'm going to pray for you. But sometimes our actions fall short. Most of us, if you were to ask the question beforehand, most of us would have the intention of being a better person. Intention of those of you who are married to be a better wife, better husband, to be a better friend, to be a better student, to be a, a better just disciple of Jesus. Great intentions. But yes, in the normalities of life, we struggle to move those intentions into actions. So tonight we're going to trust God to help us to bridge the gap between our good intentions and our actions. And we're going to do this, but we're going to look at a specific encounter of Jesus in Mark 10. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to turn to Mark 10. We're going to read together from verse 45. Those of you who are on the camp, we're going to read together now. Okay, so don't fall asleep. You're going to look down. And as you're turning to, your, to this specific scripture, I'm just going to give you a little bit of insight as to what's happening in this specific uh, encounter. Jesus and his disciple and a couple of people that's with them, a large crowd, they are on their way towards Jerusalem for a very specific purpose. This is near the end of Jesus' ministry, uh, end of his three-year ministry. They are going to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. Okay. Important feast in Jewish culture, usually in this, this is one of the biggest feasts, and all the Jews came together in Jerusalem for this feast. They celebrated what God did when he passed over in, in Egypt, and he saved them in, in Egypt. So it's a massive festival. They are going to this festival. This festival is going to start at a specific time, at a specific place, and there's a specific purpose. But what the disciples and the crowd that's with Jesus don't know, and Jesus knows this, it's at this festival, the Passover, that Jesus will be captured, tortured, and eventually crucified. Jesus knows he's at the end of his ministry. He's at the end of what he came for. In a way, we can say Jesus is approaching the ultimate purpose for which he came to earth to. They're traveling with a purpose, a mission towards a specific place, a specific time, for a specific thing. And then there's this interruption, and that's where we're going to read from. Okay. So Mark 10, verse 46. Then they came to Jericho on their way to Jerusalem. And as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. 
Jesus stopped and said, call him. Now, just watch what happens here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. This is the same people. Like one moment ago, they were like, hey, shush. Just be quiet. Now that Jesus says, no, bring him over. They're like, hey, man, good news. Jesus is calling you. Get up. Come and join us. You're in for something now. Come on. Now you can speak now. Come on, just join us. This is a change of attitude from this crowd because of what Jesus has done. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Let's pray together. So, Father, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, guide us in your truth tonight. I pray that your word will not just be words that we read, but that you would make it alive and active and that you would speak to our soul and our hearts this evening. Lord, I pray that you would bring us to a place of conviction that's in line with your will for us this evening. And, Lord, I pray that through the power of your word that you will change our hearts, our minds, and our understanding in this moment. Lord, may you come and reveal yourself to us. This we pray. In your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, some of you who are sharp might be wondering, how does this encounter have anything to do with the relationships? What are we going to take from this about relationships? Now, now think about this. Jesus and, their, and his disciples, they're on their way. They have somewhere to be. They have something to do. They, it's, it's, it's happening at a specific time. They are on a mission. There's things that needs to be done. And I can imagine there's at least one disciple that is sort of urging this group along. Listen, guys, we, we, we need to move on. We cannot get stuck here. Listen, um, we have to move. If we want to make Jerusalem in time, we have to go a little bit faster. We have to eat faster. We, have to, and we cannot rest that long. There must be at least one disciple that is reminding them of where they have to be and when they have to be there and why they have to be there. Because let's be honest, there's always a timekeeper. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you experience timekeepers at the camp, traveling. And listen, I love timekeepers. Timekeepers, now think of the last time that you traveled in a group together, that you went on holiday with family or with friends. There's always at least one timekeeper. That's the person, they've already got the trip planned out in their minds, okay? They've got this whole schedule. They don't have to write it down. They've got the schedule in their minds. They know if we want to arrive on time, we need to leave at nine, which means if we leave at nine, we have to wake up at seven. We have to eat breakfast at eight, but we have to pack. So therefore, we have to start pack the previous night at six. That gives us three hours. It's just, they've got the schedule. Who of you know? A timekeeper. I said, How, do you know one? Don't point to them. <laughs> and listen, if you're a timekeeper, I'm forever grateful for timekeepers. I'm married to a timekeeper. 
And we have a young timekeeper in training. <laughs> it's tough when they pair up and gang against us. But they keep us together, you know. And timekeepers, they would remind you that you're falling behind. They're like, listen, you ate too long. We're five minutes behind schedule. We have to pick it up. We have to move faster. They are the guys that times bathroom breaks. Okay, guys, when we stop, you have 10 minutes. Go, 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 go. <laughs> Timekeepers. Woo. I'm tired just speaking about them. But they keep us together. If it weren't for the timekeepers, I would be horribly late and I would miss so many things. There must be a timekeeper in this group. I imagine Matthew being a timekeeper. They are on their way and they're traveling. They are busy. And here this blind man starts shouting out to Jesus. Some of them gets agitated because this blind man is interrupting. This blind man is keeping them from moving on. This blind man is keeping them from, from hearing what Jesus is saying. This blind man is just interrupting what is happening now. Jesus is most probably teaching while they're traveling. And, 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 and this blind man is just almost like stealing their time. And they're agitated. They're frustrated. They're like, stop. Because this blind man is keeping them from doing what they believe is most important in that moment. Can you imagine how so many of us would have responded to the blind man shouting from the road? How often do you get frustrated when people ask for your attention? When people interrupt your plans. Friend, co-worker, roommate. How do you respond to people that interrupt your plans? Jesus reacts completely different. There's three things that we see Jesus doing. These are the three principles that we can apply to any relationship. Jesus stopped, he listened, and he responded. Three significant things. Jesus stopped. One of the best ways that you can communicate love to someone is through time. By stopping or pausing, you're communicating to someone, I'm seeing you, I'm hearing you, and I value you. I'm willing to give you my time. In order for us to love others well, we need to learn how to stop. But stopping is difficult. I don't know about you, but I struggle to stop in my life. Because if I'm honest... Sometimes my life is just too busy to stop. There's just the demands of life, the pressures we carry, the, the things that need to be done, the places where we have to be, and the expectations of other people just makes it really difficult to stop. And a question we need to ask ourselves this evening is, do we even have margin in our lives to love? 
There's no margin in your life to love. I believe another reason why we struggle to stop is we're, we're too distracted. Every 15 minutes, sorry, you guys are a little bit younger than the morning crowd. Every 50 seconds, there's a phone that buzzes or vibrates or pings or zings or whatever. It screams out for our attention. It's messages that needs responses and emails that needs attentions. Uh, it's calendars that's being booked. It's um, just social media that's screaming for our attention. There's this constant interruption in our lives. And it distracts us. It steals our attention. We have grown accustomed to a mind fragmented by technology. And there's a danger that in this generation, in this season, in this lifespan, we can live always connected but never present. Always connected but never present. But I believe there's an even deeper reason why we don't stop. Deeper reason why we struggle to stop for people. Because every time that we stop, it keeps us from doing what we want to do. Every time it's, we stop, it costs us something. It keeps us from what we want to get. It keeps us from going where we need to go. It keeps us from doing what we have to do. It requires our time and our attention. And it keeps us from doing what we feel is most important in that moment. See, sometimes we're just too self-centered, self-minded to stop. Stopping for other people requires selflessness. Now, I know I'm starting to lose some of you. You might be sitting here and thinking, I'm, I'm already struggling. I'm already not getting to my friends. I'm already not getting with the people that God has placed in me. It's already difficult to go to a connect group or wherever I need to be. It's already difficult just to spend time with my family. I, I, I don't have capacity for more people. I cannot stop more. The good news is Jesus didn't stop for everyone that shouted for him. And neither do I believe we should stop for everybody that's shouting and screaming for our attention. The difference is Jesus knew how to stop, when to stop, and for whom to stop. So tonight's not an appeal to stop for people. It's an appeal, do you know how to stop? Do you know when to stop? And do you know for whom to stop? After Jesus stopped, he, he did this really interesting thing. He asks this blind beggar a question. And he asks him, what do you want me to do for you? <laughs> now we read this and we just, well, it might have been a normal thing to do. But, but think about what Jesus is doing in this moment. It's a blind man. What this blind man is shouting out to Jesus, how he's shouting, what he's saying, it's obvious that he must have known about Jesus. He must have heard about Jesus going around and about the miracles and the healings. It is obvious what this blind man is going to ask Jesus. I imagine some of the disciples going, what, Jesus? He's blind. 
He's the one that cannot see. It's obvious. So why does Jesus ask him, what do you want me to do for you? In that moment where Jesus asked him the question, Jesus is listening to his heart. Jesus is listening. He's listening to hear not only his need, but the faith that is in his heart. Jesus is listening to his response. When we stop for people, we need to learn to listen well. Because listening is powerful. Have you ever been in a conversation and you leave that conversation, you chatted about whatever, and as you're walking away, you're thinking by yourself, that person didn't even ask me how I'm doing. We, that person didn't even ask me anything about myself. Have you ever been in that conversations? And it's not bad towards them. Don't want you to raise anger in your heart towards someone specific, but... How did it make you feel walking away from that? If you think about it, it's, it's almost like they don't care about you, eh? It's like they don't value you. Not interested in what's happening in your life. Think about how that made you feel. Listening is important because a listening is a way of blessing people. Think of a time when you went through something really difficult. You had to make a difficult decision. It was a struggling season. You needed some advice or some counsel. And, and, and just speaking with someone made you feel better. I would often hear people say, it was just good to speak about it. Didn't necessarily get an answer. Didn't get necessarily clarity. It was just good to speak about it. Have you experienced that? It's a blessing for others. If we listen to them, if we allow them to speak. Harvard neuroscientists have found that being able to speak about our own feelings and opinions triggers the same sensation of pleasure in our brains, which is associated with the motivation and reward that we get from money and food. The ability to speak about your feelings, your opinions, and what's happening in your life triggers something in your brain that is the same as a reward system. There's certain hormones that's being released when you're able to speak about your feelings. It's a blessing to listen to people. It's a gift. Listening also gives us insight into what's happening in the other person's heart. Matthew 6, this is scripture, verse 45. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. If you want to know what's happening in someone's life, listen to what they're saying. If you want to know what's happening in the person that you're in an intimate relationship with, listen to what they're saying. Because what the heart is full of, the mouth will speak. You want to know what's happening in your friend's life? What are they saying? Listening gives us insight into other people's hearts. Listening is a way of caring for people, allowing them to speak. But then after Jesus asked this person, what do you want to do for me? Jesus stopped, he listened, and then he responded. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Jesus heals him. 
this encounter with Jesus was life-giving for this beggar. And I thought about this. How many people do I get in connection with, and when they leave our conversation, they feel it's life-giving? As a church, we should be life-givers to this world. If people come and, and they spend time with us, do they leave and they feel it's been life-giving? Because if we're, if we're constantly self-minded, we will not be life-givers. I thought about my life, and I, I'm privileged enough to have a couple of people in my life. I was just thinking about this yesterday. I have some amazing friends. It's my moment to brag a little bit. I know it's weird. Often pastors don't have friends. But I have really good friends. And, and, and you know what? I leave conversations that I have with them, and I walk away, and I can name them. And when I walk away from a conversation with them, I feel like a million dollars. I feel amazing. I walk away and I feel encouraged. I feel like I'm a, I'm a good husband. I'm a great dad. I'm a, I'm, my life means something. I feel full of hope and I feel encouraged. I feel like, geez, it was good to be with them. I hope you have friendships and people like that in your life. That is just life-giving. Walking away, you're full of hope. You're full of encouragement. And it's not fake. It's just they have this ability to, to lift you up. Can we be life givers to people? And if you have a life giver friend, don't you just want to thank them? Just want to honor them. I phoned a friend of mine yesterday, one of these friends. I said, listen, I'm going to speak about you tomorrow in church, but I'm not going to mention your name. But when I mention this part... I hope you hear how deeply I appreciate you. Because yesterday I realized he's a life giver for me. Thank them. Because our words are important. The way we respond is important. The what we say to people is powerful. Proverbs 18 verse 21. The tongue has power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. When we respond to people, is our words life giving or does it negative and it bring death? life-giving. If you see something good in someone's life, celebrate it and say it. If you see something that you appreciate about them, just do it and say it. Say it. Listen, I appreciate this. Listen, that thing that you did, thank you. It was really, it was a blessing towards me. I think you're an amazing friend. I think you're amazing at this thing. I think you're really encouraged. Just say it and speak it over their lives. Bring life through your words. What words are you speaking into your friendships, in your relationships? Jesus stopped, he listened, and he responded. If we want to bridge the gap between our good intentions and our actions, we need to learn to stop, to listen, and to respond to people. Just do it. But if our message were to end here, it would sound as if we have the ability to close the gap between our intentions and our actions by simply trying harder. If you just try harder to stop, try harder to listen, 
and try harder to respond in a godly manner. You will bridge the gap between actions and good intentions. And the truth is that's not true. The truth is this is good principles in any relationship. But it will not bridge the gap. There's something that needs to change inside of us. If you want to bridge the gap between intentions and actions and relationship, there's something that first needs to change inside of us. If we look at this encounter between Jesus and the blind man, we need to realize we're not Jesus in the story. We're the blind man. We need to realize we're blind to what God wants to do every day. We are blind to the people that God has placed in our lives. We're blind to godly interruptions in our lives. We are blind to what's chasing us. We are blind to what's really important. And we are blind to what's making us busy. And we're blind to the self-centeredness of our hearts. We are the blind men of this world. And something needs to change inside us. And before we stop for others, we need to realize Jesus first stopped for us. Before we stop for other people, we need to realize Jesus stopped for you. Jesus stopped in heaven, came to earth for you. Jesus stopped the power of sin on the cross. Jesus stopped death through the resurrection Jesus stopped fear. Jesus stopped guilt and shame. Jesus stopped a hopeless life. Jesus stopped meaningless life. And Jesus stopped unworthiness. He stopped first for you. And even today, Jesus is willing to stop. Jesus is willing to stop, listen, and respond to those who cry out to him. And he's willing to heal our blindness. The question is, will you stop for him? Will you get to a place where you say, Lord, I cannot change my relationships. I need you.